Dosri Nune Gor Holodeck Cash. Welcome to the Holodeck is Broken, a Star Trek rewatch podcast. I'm your Captain Laura. I grew up watching most of Star Trek. I'm your first officer, Mac. I've watched way too much Star Trek. I'm Eris, your communications officer, and I've seen some of it. I'm Z, chief security officer, and I have no idea what's going on. Our seven-year mission. To rewatch all of Star Trek from the very beginning. Boldly going where everyone but me has gone before. Hi, everyone. I'm Laura. And I am Mac. And welcome to another volume of Medical Emergency Edition of... The holodeck is broken. Yep, it's getting to the point where we may end up doing more of these medical emergencies than we did of our original format. Mm. Uh, Z and Eris are still trapped on a planet somewhere. We send them our, our best wishes, and we'll get to them eventually, I'm sure. It's not going to be like a certain television series that we're about to talk about where we're just never going to refer back to those characters again and True. drop a True. plot line that Yeah, they're not going integral. to Mandyland. West yeah. Wing shout out. Yeah! <laughs> Holla! <laughs> we should do a show about that. <sighs> anyway. One one at a time. One, one at, at a time. time. <laughs> so, as we work our way backwards through the space-time continuum, uh, last time we spoke about uh, Enterprise. This time, we must come to Star Trek Voyager, the ship that launched UPN, huh. a thing that doesn't exist anymore. Mm. Yeah. And I guess... I, I've been hinting at this since we, since started, we started this process. <laughs> I'll just flat out say it. I, I don't super care for Voyager. It's 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 not for me. Up until recently, you had not watched all of it. Right. Yeah. I hadn't. Mm-hmm. E- like I knew of it. I feel like I'd probably watch bits and pieces of the first season, mm-hmm. maybe second season. But I it when it was actually airing, it did not hold my interest for me to continue. Yeah. I. I watched it very religiously for the fr- the first couple of seasons. It was Monday nights on UPN. You had to get your homework done so you could watch <laughs> Star Trek or record it on uh, the VCR that only I knew how to operate. Mm. And I I liked it. It was a time where it's a time in my life much more similar to where I am now, where it's like all new Star Trek is good Star Trek. So mm. if new Star Trek's available, I'm there for it. But then more Star Trek got made, and you are able to look back and be like, okay, maybe it wasn't the best Star Trek. Well, I ran out of steam with the show. I think mm. I I dropped out for a little while, and then something happened on the show that was designed to appeal to uh, 14-year-old boys. Oh. I, myself, being a 14-year-old boy at the time, came back. Oh. But, so they, they accomplished their goal. Oh, they, they knew what they were doing. <laughs> And we'll get into that eventually. And then I was really, really sour on the show the last year or so that it was on. In fact, there's one... I don't think I've ever told you this story. There was one Halloween... I, my parents, when they were on some trip, there was like a Paramount store or something. And they got me a shirt. It was like a denimish sort of uh, button-down shirt that had the Paramount logo on the, on the breast and writer underneath it. Mm. So for one Halloween, I wore that shirt and a dunce cap... And said I was a staff writer on Star Trek Voyager. <laughs> you were a harsh child. <laughs> I, I, was, I was 17 years old and I had opinions, man. <laughs> I did. I think I watched the last episode live, uh, Endgame, mm. and th- that was that solidified my opinions about the show pretty well. It was like, no, they 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 didn't have it. Yeah. I rewatched it all about five years ago mm-hmm. and liked it. And I'm only now realizing I did that during a convalescent period. Where I was on pretty thorough pain medication. Yep. <laughs> so I liked everything. You came home, I was watching Voyager, like, honey, there, 
they didn't get home yet. <laughs> they didn't get home yet. So at this point, I I think I like it better than you do. Yes. It definitely has flaws. Uh, oh yes. <laughs> and I I think the show didn't do any favors to its cast, which I think the cast no. is strong. I think the concept is strong. I I think they, they just... didn't capitalize on Mm-mm. that, and I think. The the fan franchise fatigue they always talk about that did Enterprise in really started here. Yeah, uh, you had a lot of writers that. that had been on since the early days of Next Generation, and they probably were starting to run out of ideas. Yeah. Before we go any further, that there are many people I I know and many people I admire who love Voyager. Mm, yes. Voyager above all other Star Treks. Voyager to the exclusion. Of mm-hmm. other Star Treks. I don't understand that 100%. <laughs> I do not either. <laughs> uh, but all Star Trek fans are good people. Except for the ones that are assholes to people on the internet. Yeah. Yeah. So we don't want to be the assholes on the internet. No, no. We want to say, I, I don't want to denigrate anybody who yeah. loves Voyager. If because you, there's there's things in here that are are, are worthy of, yeah. of liking. Like I said, it is not for me. Mm-hmm. And I gave it an honest shot. I watched it from beginning to end. But I'm also going to say that it's probably not a show that was ever meant to be binge watched. No. I would come away from watching, you know, maybe five or six episodes yeah. in a day just angry that I had to do that and just bitter that it would like, what did I just watch? You were you were exhausted. Yeah, no, it yeah. is it is yeah. it's definitely mentally exhausting. But maybe it was better when it was a week-to-week thing and, you know, yeah, this is Star Trek and it doesn't matter. I just get my weekly Star Trek dose. That's that's certainly the way it was intended. I mean, uh, for most of its runtime, it ran concurrently with Deep Space Nine. And Deep Space Nine's production team were sort of rebellious in the Star Trek machine of the 90s. And they did a lot. And we'll talk about that more in the next episode when we deep dive into Deep Space Nine. You see what I did there? Uh, Deep Space Nine got away with a lot, and so the powers that be, specifically Rick Berman, who was sort of the franchise overlord uh, after Gene Roddenberry's death and up until the end of Enterprise, took a lot of more direct control over Voyager. Voyager was a show, it was the first one produced for a network since the original series. Both Next Generation and Deep Space Nine were syndicated shows, so the economics of it were different. And so it was Paramount's flagship show on their new burgeoning network. And so it was definitely going to have a network sensibility to it. No serialization or minimal serialization. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they had a few two-parters. They had but... a few attempts at it. Yeah. And the, the writers tried to go Deep Space Nine and go rogue on it. and say Like the Year of Hell, the two-parter, that got reset at the end of it. Mm. The writers wanted to do that as a whole year. An actual Year of Hell. Oh. And that would have been more interesting than what we got. It, it would sort of resemble what eventually happened with the Zindi arc yeah, on Enterprise. Yeah, but instead we have a... Was it a two-parter? It was a two-parter. Yeah, yeah so instead so we have a two-parter entitled Year of Hell, and I'm like, okay, so it's about an hour and a half of hell? Like... Half of hell. <laughs> Although that does have some great moments for our current pandemic situation. Hmm. When Janeway kind of early on says, oh, this is turning into the week from hell, and we're like... <laughs> same girl same you endangered girl and uh it's later on when she's when she and chakotay are talking about 
like what day it was and neither of them could remember 100%. Uh, yes. No, like, that's, yeah. that's very much a mood for today. <laughs> yes, yes. But I think you're you're kind of starting to touch on maybe one of my biggest qualms. And yeah, it, it goes to the writing. And I, I don't want to say, like, I'm sure these folks are fine writers in another context. It felt like they were always trying to, they, they were trying to tell a grand story in something, in something that could have been good. But the ending was almost always felt botched to me. So you've got this setup for like 35 minutes and then it's like, uh-oh, we've got 10 minutes to wrap this up. And we have to put everything back the way we right. found it. And more often, old man Berman is going to come and... Uh, exactly. Yeah. More often than not, it was just like, oh, okay, we're back to where we started. This yeah. meant nothing. And I'm yeah. just... You know, so there were so many episodes where I was like, maybe that should have been a two-parter. Or actually... It should have just been a little tighter in the writing to where, because you would have these like weird B and C plots that just rambled and, you know, Mm. meandered through the episode. And I was like, why don't you just make this a tight 45 minutes in your A plot? And uh, you would have been fine. Absolutely. (laughs) Yeah, I think the concept was abandoned, I think, a little too often. I think that it's Mm, interesting to think Voyager really is the the version of Star Trek that Gene Roddenberry would have made had he lived a little bit longer. He always said the characters should not have conflicts with one another. Uh. That often hamstrung some of the the, the writing. And any time we did, they kind of dropped it real fast on this show. Right. There was a little more sex appeal to the show. Hmm. Yeah, that yeah. feels very Roddenberry. Right, yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. You you imagine the the news release where Jerry Ryan's cast as a Borg and Gene Roddenberry's up in heaven going, you did it, boys. <laughs> you did it. <laughs> the show has, like, little glimmers. Like, any time, it, it, maybe it just felt more comfortable to me. I don't know. But, like, any time we actually have a little, little touch of what's going on in the alpha quadrant or something somewhat familiar it was like oh hey this is this is picking up and then i'm like oh no i botched that too like (laughs) when it really started playing to its concept this idea of the ship stranded and trying to get home Mm -hmm. and the idea that it may not work they may never get home or Mm -hmm. never in the sense of it may take the full 75 years right right so they they may not live to see the ship getting home with 24th century health, probably they would. Maybe. But they'd be old. But yeah. maybe not. Maybe not. They definitely, yeah, like it, the, the little sneak peeks you had back into the Alpha Quadrant life were fine. But you you definitely, they, they treated it like any other Star Trek show where it was, oh, hey, here's this little star thing happening over here. Let's go take a look. And I'm like, right. no, warp eight straight that way. Like, what are you doing? <laughs> Stop investigating everything. That is part of the (laughs) Starfleet mission. Yes. But then I think that segues into this. But I think for me, there wasn't enough of that tension of what is is our new mission now that we're out here? Is Mm -hmm. our mission to get ourselves home or is our mission to continue to be Starfleet officers? And maybe there just wasn't enough conversation about that. Like it started out promising. Like you talked about like the the pilot because you've got the Maquis members on the ship. There's there's built in tension. You're like, ooh, this could be good for a while. But no, we were all best friends pretty quick. Yeah, they uh, they abandoned the vast majority of the Maquis Federation conflict immediately and that was written in the concept like oh two two crews trying to come together when yeah. they are designed to be at odds 
And that could have been great yeah. on a much longer arc. Yeah. What also could have been great that they touched on a few times but never hit the landing for me was what's happening with Janeway. First of all, Kate Mulgrew's a good actress. Great like actress. We, we, uh, yeah. If you haven't seen Orange is the New Black, she's in that and she's phenomenal. So I know she can act circles around people. But I don't think they ever really knew how to write this character. No. So you're, you were left with somebody, like I would have loved more more of her like slow descent into maybe being a more brutal captain or really um, or wrestling with, with the morality of things but like there there's moments where she takes some dark turns you know RIP to Vix and so she <laughs> takes remember. these dark turns but then later it's like Oh, she's back to the same old lovable, laughable, you know, Chakotay's going to call me Catherine and we're all going to be best buds again. Like, right. it's it's a weird, I would have much rather seen a slower arc for her really start to question things and maybe the people start to question her. What is her leadership like? like and that I, bubbles up every once in a while. But not, never, but it's never, never satisfying ne- when never, it does. Yeah, it, yeah. Yeah, it's never, and then we all just, re- we reset it back to the way right. it was and then we're like, oh, okay. Really reckoned with. And you mentioned. We're just never going to deal with two Vicks then. Never. <laughs> oh, and they bring up two Vicks like in, in one of the later episodes. Like <laughs> Naomi Wildman's telling like the Talaxian kid about two Vicks. Like, and then there was this time that Neelix and Tuvok <laughs> became one guy. End of story. I'm not allowed to talk about what happened after that. Right. Nobody hypo-sprayed anybody to death. Don't ask any questions. What? Am I rambling? No. There was a lot of hope in that concept. Hope for a good show in that concept. Mm. They were even going to talk about how the Maquis people would never actually wear Starfleet uniforms. They would still mm. wear their... But that was a big fight. And then Berman said, nope. It's a Starfleet ship. Everybody wears Starfleet uniforms. Give them different uniform pins. I don't. I don't care. <laughs> And, and they did return a little bit to it near the very, was it season seven, where somebody is targeting yeah. um, all of the Maquis members through a subliminal message sent to Tuvok. I don't know. I, you, you lose the plot after a while. And, and that ac- episode was actually more memorable and kind of good because it's reintroducing a little bit of this, like, because now suddenly all of the Maquis members are fearful for their lives because they're like, wait, we're still the others on this ship. And, right. you know, never mind the Equinox crew who are just hanging out somewhere. Oh, I don't know man, what they're Equinox doing. Equinox people. <laughs> Equinox could have been great. There, there could have been so much. Again, there, there could have been so many more... Yeah deep impactful moments that they just don't hit and I said this more than once because I I was re-watching um I was watching Voyager for mostly for the first time and re-watching Enterprise largely at the same time getting ready for our Enterprise episode and I said on more than one occasion I turned to Mac and I was like you know it seems like the Enterprise writers were just taking the threads that the Voyager uh writers tried to do and made the better um it was their second pass yeah they on, on they ideas. told some of the yeah. same stories they just did it better because archer's got a few arcs in there where yeah. he is going a little dark and, right. and everyone around him is reacting to him in an appropriate way like sir yeah. are you sure we should be doing this and he's like yes we're doing this the zindi arc <laughs> is the the capitalizing on that year of hell idea yeah only to a much better it, it they they land it in a much better way than voyager does some of the writers are quite good i mean brandon braga was yeah. the head writer for a number of years i've he seen did, things they've done yeah, that are good <laughs> he did first contact and all good things brian fuller got his start on a voyager uh he of hannibal fame and mm, yeah. american 
did he do American Gods? Am I uh, remembering that right? I think so. Yeah. I'm pretty sure it's American Gods. Co-created Discovery mm-hmm. before getting fired. Oh, well. I think those I are th- those are largely my biggest complaints. It felt like there was never enough emotional payoff or consequence to, to, what, was to what they were setting up. Yeah. And they did set up things. It just it just fizzled and it just yeah, nothing really quite landed for me. And I think a lot of the Star Trek shows have some degree of that same problem in their yes. early goings and but all of them hit a creative renaissance in their third or fourth year. Yeah, I don't feel like Voyager ever hit that, like, there's, and we'll get to this in, in our next segment, We there's episodes I like of Voyager, and we'll talk about those, but they're not clustered. It's not like I had, you know, oh my god, there's 20 good episodes in season four, which one do I pick? It was yeah. like, oh, I like that one. <laughs> yeah, I think they went for a creative renaissance, but it was in the shape of casting sex appeal into mm. the show in the shape of Jerry Ryan mm-hmm. as Seven of Nine. I think that wa- it wasn't like the next generation had their big Borg uh, cliffhanger or Enterprise started getting more involved in the canon or Deep Space Nine brought the Dominion in. Voyager just decided to get eye candy into the show. Yeah, and then they, they tried to, I think they tried to hit a few of those notes because... Mm-hmm. Janeway is kind of assimilated, I think, at one point. The but whole crew the is whole, assimilated. Yeah, point, but, right? but, yeah, but yeah. I'm sitting there, I'm like, I've seen this, and I know you're just going to put it all back to the beginning when yeah. you're done, so I, I'm i not invested. It's unfair to dismiss Jerry Ryan based on the intentions of the production crew mm-hmm. when, they, when they cast it. It was to, like I said, to appeal to 14-year-old boys and bring them back into... Watching you on Monday night, it and it it it, it kind of worked for a little <laughs> bit of time, but I think that that unfairly maligns Jerry Ryan, who's a very good actress, mm-hmm. and the role turned out to be better written than it was initially, which is exactly the opposite of everybody else on the show. Yeah, yeah. On paper, the Voyager thing should be awesome, <laughs> and it never quite reached yeah. its potential. Whereas Seven of Nine, I think, did better than. A Borg with boobs. She did well, and she, yeah, she is a good actress, and she yeah. shows it yeah. often in Voyager. But again, I I don't feel like they wrote the best stories for the caliber of actors that they had. Agreed. It, Robert Picardo also. Yeah, oh yeah, yeah. A, an MVP. Mm-hmm, never, never uh, quite. A little underserved. He probably got some of the more interesting stuff to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, definitely. So with that, I think we'll go to our commercial break. Check off a few things that need to be said. Uh, wear your damn masks. Just wear them. Just, just wear them. Six feet. You don't know which. You don't know if you have it or not. Don't, don't, don't tell me that. Uh, Black Lives Matter. Yes. Uh, oh, and Happy Pride Month. Yes, Happy Pride Month. Uh, arrest the murderers of Breonna Taylor. Please. Yeah. Just, just do something. Yeah. I mean. Ugh. You fired one of them. Do the bar better. is so low. Uh, yeah. It's, it's let's raise that just a little bit, shall a little we? Bit. And then keep raising it. Yeah. Yeah. Let's keep it up. Yeah. Uh, I think that catches up us up to the world. We are, of course, broadcasting from the uh, the city of Tulsa, which collectively shrugged at uh, a potentially <laughs> calamitous event just this past weekend. That was kind of fun. It was good that uh, you sad know, that it it happened at all, but but. Nice that it, it fizzled. Yeah, that it was a, a an anticlimax. Yeah. So uh, that's the world so far. Going narrowing our lens a little bit. Uh, you can find our other shows at partyapocalypse.com. Z and Eris uh, on whatever planet they're 
stranded on are still producing As the Myth Turns in sort of off-format episodes on the weeks that we're off. Uh, there's also uh, on the website, partyapocalypse.com, my uh, movie reviews, my blog, uh, any of the other productions we have, my books, uh, The Fourth Wall. So check us out for all your uh, various entertainment needs. Stay safe, stay healthy. Yeah. So we're back uh, from our commercial break, and so we'll take this opportunity to go ahead and talk about our top five favorite episodes from Star Trek Voyager. I think I had to do a little harder work to whittle down to a top five. Hmm, yeah. Uh, you struggled to find five that you enjoyed. Well, I I ended up, I think, with a list of like eight uh-huh. and narrowed it down to five from there. I see. Um, it, but it, it honestly wasn't hard. I wasn't making any kind of weird mental trade-offs right. in that. <laughs> Um, I think Your eventual next-gen list is going to be a lot harder. In fact, oh, there's talk yeah. of it being a top 10. It's already in a top a top 11, so we're yeah. going to see. see <laughs> we'll see what happens there. Ladies first, Okay. if that's not chauvinistic of me. Nah. Uh, okay. I'll take it. Cool. Okay, so these are in se- uh, season order, not in order of my liking them. So just to clarify that. So the first one I put on my list is season three, episode 23, entitled Distant Origin. And I think Mac has this one on his list as well. He does. Okay. It's weird that one of the selling points of this episode is that none of the Voyager crew is in it. For the first third, that those are Voyager's <laughs> best episodes when, <laughs> when they, the crew's not even there. <laughs> when they unpack the show and make it not about them for a little while, right? Like one that didn't get on my list, Pathfinder. Yeah, it was almost on my list, but mm, yeah, yeah. Little synopsis of this episode: a species of reptile uh, hominids. Yeah. Um, if you're a Doctor Who fan, you know, kind of think. Um, oh, what was the name of that? Um, Madame Vastro's yes, species. Yes, so they they are scientists. Uh, I think one of them's an anthropologist and one of them's a guy that studies under him. It seems like a professor kind of grad assistant situation. And they're talking about Voyager as uh, a mystery to solve. Yeah, a mystery to solve. And and then and then later they are they they get onto Voyager to observe them as anthropologists, but they're like cloaked so nobody can see them and then they're just listening. But anyway, something happens. One of them becomes uncloaked. You know, there's things. One of them, uh, I think, uh, is able to get himself off, but he takes Chakotay with him um, back to their ship. Mm -hmm. And then so we've got people on on both sides. They believe that these humans are uh, have a common ancestor or evolved on the same planet as they did. Mm -hmm. Um, So it turns out this reptilian species evolved from hadrosaurs, I believe was the dinosaur they named. And yeah, so we have this common origin from Earth, but somehow the the dinosaur species was able to leave Earth. And there's 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 interesting themes in this episode. The first third of it contains absolutely no one on Voyager, which is interesting. My next episode was season four episode 14 message in a bottle uh this is where the doctor uh okay so on voyager the doctor on my list but it's a fun one yes the doctor is uh a emergency medical hologram uh first of all if you haven't seen it if you got this far in the show and you don't know about the doctor yeah you know but anyways um so 
they were able to, I don't remember how, but they were able to beam the doctor's program to a ship in the Alpha Quadrant because they wanted to, you know, get the word out like, hey, we're in the Delta Quadrant. So the doctor's beamed to a ship called the Prometheus, if I remember correctly. I believe that's correct. He turned, it turns out that that ship's been taken over by Romulans because it's kind of a high-tech ship and their EMH program, played by Andy Dick, is the only thing left on the ship. So you've got two holodeck programs who are trying to save a Federation ship, um, and th- only, you know, then can the Doctor explain, hey, Voyager's out in the Delta Quadrant, help. But it's kind of fun to watch them do that. I, I think any Doctor-centric episode is generally pretty fun. He is a good character. He's probably one of the better written characters he's a good for the show. A- he's a good and he's a-, a good actor, yeah. And he was always one of the better people to see at a convention. Oh yeah, he had a, he had a, he had a very live entertainment sort of sensibility, and he was always very funny. Even when I wasn't like into the show, uh-huh. you want to go see Robert Picard because oh, nice. it was going to be a good time. That's cool. So that was a fun episode. So I appreciated that one. Season five, episode two, entitled "Drone." There's some sort of transporter accident, and I, for the life of me, <laughs> really on this show, I know yeah. who knows. Um, I can't remember how or why this happened, but Seven's nanoprobes. And the Doctor's hollow emitter get, like, merged in a transport, and they create this, like, advanced Borg drone. He's got, so the the Doctor's hollow emitter is 29th century tech, if I remember correctly. So it's way more advanced than anything that the Borg currently has. And so it creates this drone, and it's very, like, if if you're familiar with Next Generation, it's very, like, Hugh. Uh, you know, so it's 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 another Borg drone. And they kind of ripped off the iBorg then? They, yeah. they probably did a little bit. This drone ends up saving Voyager from a Borg sphere, and he destroys the sphere using his, you know, 29th century, you know, mind powers or whatever. You're He's, definitely selling the episode. I know, I know. <laughs> but, but I think there's an emotional core of the episode that I really liked. The, at near, especially near the very end, maybe it's one of the few episodes I felt like they ended fairly well. Basically, the drone is dying and he's refusing to let them help him because he says, my technology shouldn't exist because the Borg's going to keep coming after me and they're going to keep trying to get it from me. You need to just let me die and you need to destroy me. And so that part I thought was, it it was interesting. It wasn't, you know, the captain coming in and making that decision, RIP Tuvix. It was... The, the drone being like, no, I can see, like, he sees the value of being a Borg. He, see, he saw the value in being human, but he's like, you know what? No, I can't exist. This is bad. Then season six, episode 12, Blink of an Eye. Also on my list. Yes. Voyager is stuck, gets pulled into the orbit um, like it's a deep gravity well or something. So basically. It's also in a planet. Yeah, it's orbiting a planet. And the the gravity is different so that time is passing much faster on the planet than it is in Voyager. So a few seconds is like years. It was like a or, minute a year. Yeah, or it was something. Like that, so they're evolving, and they the, this ancient race sees Voyager builds a whole society around this starship that's out there, and then they try to. So by the end of it, you have it Daniel Day Kim. Kim, yes, from he Lost. he is one of their astronauts that. Yeah that has made it up to Voyager because they want to make contact with this thing that they've always seen for thousands of years on their planet, but it's only been minutes or hours on Voyager. And so it's it's really kind of interesting. It's, you know, what happens when you're kind of stuck. Like, they, they didn't intend to break the Prime Directive, right. but oh my God, they just... 
completely smashed it. They completely... <laughs> Not quite as egregiously as Kirk in Into Darkness, but mm. yeah. But yeah, no, they, they didn't do it on purpose. Because <laughs> uh, <laughs> it, it was easier. Right, but they did accidentally set an entire religion and philosophy into motion built around their presence. <laughs> and when they realized it, they felt bad about it and didn't, did. didn't get angry at they Spock tried for to calling them it. on their bullshit. Yeah, yeah, they tried to fix it. So that one was pretty good. Uh-huh. And then the last one on my list was Season 7, Episode 7, Body and Soul. Oh, that's a sweet one. Um, yeah, this is one where you really do get to see Jerry Ryan being an amazing actress, yeah. as well as the doctor. She does such a good impression of Picardo in that, mm-hmm. that it's, and it's performative. It's not just, oh, I'm doing, she's not doing a different voice. Yeah, she's, yeah, it's no, still it's Jerry mannerisms and, it's yeah. mannerisms and quirks of personality yeah, yeah. in one of the more, and mimicking one of the more dynamic performances on the show Mm -hmm. so yeah Yeah, no it's really it's really good and just the journal idea and i don't even remember who they are is not important but there's some species that's like we hate holograms photonic organisms shouldn't exist so instead of risking the doctor's life she downloads his program into her synaptic interface or whatever she takes on his personality um and he's kind of just hanging out in her body i think it just really showed off the fun side that you can have because i do believe star trek's meant to be fun and uh yeah so those are my top five it's a good list. I think those are all uh, good ones. Uh, Drone, I think, is the one on your list that I didn't remember as thoroughly, and I don't think I rewatched it with you. Mm, on this. Yeah, I, no, I, I checked in did. and out and on, the, on your mm. rewa- on your watch, but I think I co-sign on all those as good episodes. I, not only two of them made it onto my list, which were Distant Origin and Blink of an Eye. Uh, mine are a little bit different. Uh, one of my other ones was season four, episode twenty-three, Living Witness. Uh, that is the one where it, it's. It's hundreds of years in the future, and the copy of the doctor that was left over. Yeah. Uh, it, this society has has built this mythology around Voyager, yes, and, yes. and, and they are vile, evil people. Mm-hmm. And he's the one in charge of correcting that. And it, what what is interesting about this one, and I think it's also interesting about Blink of an Eye, it has real consequence at the end. Blink of an Eye, the astronaut that Daniel Day Kim plays, does get propelled forward in his own time, and. He, he, he's an old man when he sees them finally going, so you see his whole life's work mm. there. And with this copy of the Doctor that is left in this planet many years in the future, he has this expansive arc where he brings peace to this planet and these warring factions on mm-hmm. it. And then it jumps even further in time, saying that he decided he wanted to go home and see if Voyager ever made it. Also interesting choice of episodes in that the only time that Voyager regular crew members appear in the episode are in holographic representation of what happens. Right. And it, it, it's there's no like current time right. telling. It is the only episode in all of Star Trek that does not actually feature any of the any of the main characters on any show. Hmm, yeah. Fun. Cuz even the doctor that we see in there is a copy of the doctor that we know. Ah, true. Yeah. Technicality there. Technicality. <laughs> Technicality. These are the voyages on Enterprise. Technically has no appearances of their main cast, only holographic representations of them. Hmm. So, one of the other ones on my list there is Author Author season 7 episode 20. It's the one where the doctor creates a hollow novel mm-hmm. that is a very thin Ramana Clef of the Voyager crew and basically paints them as bastards, like just awful. Right, right. Not quite as awful as Living Witness level, not mere universe mm. level, but but 
hostile and but living witness was like a reinterpret it it was an interpretation in far in the future like 700 years or something of skewed history right of a skewed version of history or like you know kind of like what do you know archaeologists think Mm -hmm. of this thing and they probably got it wrong um but with author author he's living through it and uh (laughs) feels a little more intentional (laughs) and it gets into the creative process a little bit i think Ultimately, Deep Space Nine probably deals with writers a lot better mm. as, as a subject matter. But it's interesting, his interplay with Paris and their tastes as writers. And the, the uh, inevitable consequences, he, his intention was to write a book for other emergency medical holograms in the Alpha Quadrant to feel better about themselves because they had been relegated to menial mm. labor yeah, yeah. as the program advanced. The Mach 1 was deemed a flawed yeah. program. Right. Yeah, yeah. And the last shot of that is... A bunch of Robert Picardos <laughs> mining dilithium and trading the program and, and form, uh, fomenting rebellion, uh, which I think is, is great. And I think that's a plot line they could pick up again in Picard. Yeah, there's, it's there's, definitely tied yeah. to the themes there, yeah. Yeah, and yeah, there's talk that Picardo might be in season two of Picard. He mm-hmm. definitely has a relationship with Seven of Nine that mm-hmm. is unrequited, to put it mildly. So the other one I have on my uh, list is, and it's actually my favorite episode of Voyager. I would actually say this is number one mm. with a bullet, Good Shepherd, which is season six, ah. <laughs> episode 20. It's the one I will go back to, independent of any watching obligations. It involves three Starfleet crew, not Maquis crew, Starfleet crew that weren't measuring up to the standard of Starfleet crews. If they were in the Alpha Quadrant, they probably would have gotten reassigned or cycled off the ship after serving a short stint. And And like one of them only wanted to be on the ship for a brief time. Yeah, he was studying various theories and... Yeah, needed Starfleet, needed Starship service to qualify for some Some, advanced study or something. Or like a science academy of some sort. Yeah, yeah. And, And Janeway's efforts to bring these misfits not up to like main crew status but trying to get them to more engage with the idea i thought was always interesting because you never saw that in all of star trek mm, true all of the starfleet crews we see are committed people who want to be there and want to do be the best the best of the best of the best the idea that the 24th century doesn't have any screw-ups is <laughs> was always sort of daunting because right. then you you watch all this star trek growing up and you go out into the real world and everybody is an idiot Especially these kind of like screw ups that were also thrown into the Delta Quadrant and, you know, are, they're probably like, I don't like this job. I don't want to do it anymore. Right. But no. I'm stuck. <laughs> no one, no one doesn't want to be on a starship <laughs> except for these three yeah, jokers. I would say we'll go to our least favorite pretty soon, but I also want to say let's give, open it up to maybe an honorable mention because I think your honorable mention is one I want to talk about a little bit. Hmm. What's my honorable mention? I would say probably the thirty sevens. You talked about that. Yeah, as, that's yeah. true. I okay. So in in my like top five, two, there's one. nothing before season three, episode twenty three. So like basically almost all of the first three seasons, I'm like, ugh, no. Yeah. But thirty sevens wasn't so bad. Yeah, it was the first episode of season two, which actually was produced as part of season one because there was some. Scheduling shenanigans going on there. So, basically, they find Amelia Earhart and Mm -hmm. a bunch of people who were abducted by aliens in 1937 and taken to this planet for reasons that were never quite super explained. No. Um, A lot of them are still in, like, some sort of cryostasis. Yeah. But some of them aren't, and they've been just living on this planet, and they... It gets a little fuzzy, but basically the, the episode... 
ends with a choice where a lot of people, they're like, well, I've been stuck in the Delta Quadrant for a year. Here's this planet. Here's some people from Earth. They seem yeah. cool. There's a thriving human civilization Yeah, here. so basically the captain's like, anyone who wants to stay on this planet, I'm not going to hold it against you. Just be in the cargo bay at a certain time. And, and we'll let I'll, you off. Yeah, we'll yeah. let you off and you're good to go. And there's the added tension there that if a certain amount of people leave... They can't run the ship anymore, and then everybody mm, has to leave. That's true. That's yeah. true. So there's a lot, and even the captain herself talks about how it's appealing in yeah. some way. Um, and then they, her and Chakotay, I think, get to the, the, the cargo, bay. cargo bay, and nobody's in there. And they're like, oh, phew. But it, it's, like, a, it's supposed to be such a nice moment. Right, like, oh, like, they oh, like me. They really like me. stay. But, like, McAnuff and I have had this conversation several times. A couple years down the line, I bet you anything, people start bitching. Like, why didn't I stay on the 37 planet? Why didn't I get off the ship when I had the chance? <laughs> and there's yeah, several points in the series where there's some malcontent on the ship. Yeah. Uh, there, there's an actual serial killer on this ship yeah. at some point. <laughs> Played by Brad Dourif. Brad Dourif, yeah. yeah. That's actually a... It's an interesting I runner. mean, it's a good, great yeah. actor for that. So. And, and he redeems himself weirdly. That That's some interesting yeah, stuff. It's, it's a yeah. weird arc that guy has. The three misfits on in Good yeah. Shepherd. Like, they didn't want... Like, the guy that... Definitely didn't want to be there, didn't want to get that off. That guy could have been the smartest dude on that planet. Yeah. And he passed up that opportunity. You're on Voyager. Would you get? Would you have gotten off at, at the 37 planet? <sighs> Maybe. Yeah. Honestly, at that point, it'd be like, this place seems fine. <laughs> how, depends on how many cheer, stairs they have. That's true. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I don't know if they built a lot of ramps on that planet. We'll have Maybe to see. Maybe not, yeah. <laughs> They, yeah, you think about it, like it, that early on in the journey. Maybe they thought, "Oh, we'll, we're going to get back quick." Optimism was still present. Yeah. I, if that episode had happened in like season five, right. half your crew easy would have been like, right. "Nope, I'm done. I'm of, out, guys." I mean, not for nothing. Let's say Tuvix. R.I.P. <laughs> R.I.P. Uh, Neelix toward the end doesn't make it home. He just like gets off at the first Talaxian colony they yeah, find. Yeah. Like, no, I'm going to stay here. <laughs> I'm done. <laughs> yeah. My honorable mention, I think, might be flashback. The sudden retcon that Tuvok was aboard the USS Excelsior during the events uh, of yeah, Star Trek VI. Yeah. You get Captain Sulu. You get Janice Rand. Gets a triumphant return and has a good, solid role in the episode. Mm-hmm. I, like, she actually shot new footage for it. Yeah. All, yeah. Most, in, almost all of it is new footage. Even the mm, stuff that's that true. Yeah, from yeah. Star Trek VI is reshot. I mean, we both really love Star Trek VI. In fact, yes. if I aired the full uncut version of this episode, we spent five minutes talking about Star Trek VI before the <laughs> episode actually started. That's a glimpse of what it's like in our house. Yeah, yeah. And, but I wonder also if I like it so much because I really like Star Trek VI. That, there's that's, that. That's what got it kicked off right, the list. Right, right. Because it's that, it's that, oh, that's a good movie. Yeah. And then you're like, oh, I this guess is, that's an okay episode. Right. <laughs> It, it is of a piece with Trials and Tribulations on Deep Space Nine. It was their efforts to celebrate the 30th anniversary of Star Trek in mm. 1996. I would say Deep Space Nine's effort in that regard is more successful. Mm. That's why it didn't quite get on the list, even though there's parts of it I enjoy. Which brings us to our worst episode of all of Voyager. There's lots of episodes that deeply frustrate us. Lots of episodes that never go anywhere. I think there's fine- lots of episodes that are just ignorable. Yeah. Uh, that's why I think Voyager is actually not bad for like white noise on there. If you want Star Trek but don't necessarily want to pay attention, <laughs> Voyager's your show. Mm. But I think there's one episode, and I think we both have it as our worst. 
Yes, yes. And probably. I think we'll we'll say our worst episode title on three, and we'll see <laughs> if I'm right about which which is the worst. One, two, three. Threshold. Threshold. Uh, season two, episode fifteen. It's sort of infamous. Paris <laughs> tries to break the trans warp barrier. Which, for some reason, turns him into some sort of lizard amphibian creature. And he then proceeds to also trans turn, turn Jane, Janeway, or does she also try to do the trans warp I thing? I don't remember I don't how remember. or why, but for some reason, Janeway, and then the two of the, I think he kidnaps her. Right. And, and then they go off to some planet, have some lizard babies. Okay, it's important to understand <laughs> that both of these characters are now lizards at this point in the story. Yes, yes. They yeah. they are some sort of slug lizard thing. Evolved it's, human thing. Whatever. And they make babies. And, and then the crew comes and gets them, and the doctor's all like, yeah, I can reverse this. But they just left the babies on the planet. Yeah. And so Tom Paris and Captain Janeway have children out in the Delta Quadrant that we will never speak of again. It's sort of <laughs> sort of beautifully symmetrical that the two weirdest moments on this show is when Janeway gives birth and when Janeway straight up murders somebody. <laughs> R.I.P. Tuvix. R.I.P. It's interesting about about uh, Threshold. The, the story is when they were going about casting for Seven of Nine between seasons three and four, they talked to a number of actresses, and some said, you know, interested, some, some were not interested, uh, and they were zeroing in on Jerry Ryan, and Jerry Ryan wasn't sure about it, because, you know, being a actor on a Star Trek show has a certain baggage associated with it. It's mm-hmm. typecasting and, yeah, yeah, and, and yeah. that sort of thing. It's good, steady work for a couple of years, and then might be the end of your functioning mm-hmm. career as a performer. Right, right. And then you are locked into convention after convention, a convention. Yeah. <laughs> and that and, and that's happening. But conventions are good money. So, mm-hmm. you know, some people say, oh, well, for financial security, it's not a bad idea. But yeah. for artistic expression, it might be yeah. Yeah. sort of limiting. So she's going to go in for a uh, second or third meeting with the producers. And so she decides, you know, if I'm going to be on the show, I should probably watch an episode. So she turns on the TV and watches an episode of Voyager, and it just happens to be Threshold. <laughs> And she goes back to Paramount the next day and says, I don't think I want to do this. And she explains why. And the producers are like, no, that's the worst thing we did. You can't judge us. They know us. it's bad. <laughs> you, you can't. She says, she says it was the worst episode ever. And the producers agreed. I'm thinking it was Threshold. I'm willing to bet it was Threshold. And it's never been 100% confirmed. Mm. But I would... I, I Seems like a safe assu- yeah. assumption. And, and it almost... Put the kibosh on Jerry Ryan mm. joining the cast. Well, I, I guess for us to end on a semi-happy, uplifting note then, I, I think what Voyager did pretty well is actually most of their seven-focused stuff. The, I, the attention definitely focused on that. I yeah. liked watching her journey and her figure out. I mean, it was it was data-esque in certain ways. She's trying to figure out her humanity. But for her, she's reconnecting with something because she was yeah. assimilated as a child. Well, it's, it's more interesting with her because it's a journey she doesn't necessarily want to go on. Right. She's just been kind of forced into this. Yeah. And she's making do. But then later they pick up some additional Borg children that were assimilated at a very young age and they've you know help revert them back to their original selves for the most part and seeing her kind of be this like role model for them while also trying to you know be a mentor and it's good to see kind of like 
what they were able to do there. And I, I do appreciate that. Like, I loved the scenes with her and Naomi Wildman just because they had a really unique relationship. So those also, times when Naomi was like, you know, I don't know, maybe yeah. like seven, eight, nine years old and yeah. hanging out with uh, Seven all the time, those were actually some pretty cute moments. And yeah, it's interesting that she plays it really when you look at the subtext of it, she plays it like an adolescent. She was assimilated mm-hmm. as a as a rather young child. Mm-hmm. Her development was absolutely stunted at that point, certainly as yep. an emotional creature. And then she's brought into this and forced to reckon with her humanity. And she has a rebellious streak to her. Really, all the crew does. Literally every <laughs> member of this crew directly disobeyed Janeway at one point or another. And she just had to take it because it wasn't like she could, you know, kick, kick him off the ship. <laughs> Well, except for Tom Paris, I don't even remember what he did, but he got 30 days in the brig in solitary confinement and bumped down to Ensign. Yeah. But then he got was back, back to lieutenant by the end of it, which left Harry Kim sitting there like, dudes, I've been pretty yeah. good this whole time. <laughs> I, I disobeyed her once. <laughs> Just and that it was, one time. It was for love. <laughs> Where's my extra pip? <laughs> yeah. I like it when it's a show about a, a ship going home. Yeah. And I think all too often they abandon that to make it a, a very sort of Diet Coke next generation clone. Mm, yeah. And I think that was its biggest failure is it, it tried to chase its own tail. Deep Space Nine didn't do that. And we'll get to that our next time. Uh, uh, we're going to switch from the Delta to the Gamma Quadrant and uh, take a look at Deep Space Nine. I think our opinions are going to be different. I might get a little emotional because I, I, <laughs> I get very defensive mm. about the greatness of Deep Space Nine. Yes. And I think our top fives are going to be vastly different. <laughs> vastly different, but I'm not going to have a problem with any of mm-hmm. yours. I'm not going to be like, oh, that one was awful. No. Yeah. That's it for us, I think, unless we had anything else we wanted to add. I think I'm good. We'll, it's it's not for me, but there's, there's a few bright spots. A few bright spots. And I'd rather spend an hour in the 24th century than an hour in 2020. Yeah, this one's turning out to be pretty bad. Yeah. Yeah, all right. I'm not, on that note, <laughs> bye! Bye! <laughs>